there are two worlds surrounding you. One is the world they tell you about on the evening news. The other is the one they don't. You're listening to the Ian Wishart Investigates podcast, Great Sacks in Berlin, Confessions of an American Spy. I got captured once. I got captured by the Russians. I was at the end of a runway in Leipzig. And uh, I was in a tree. Next thing you know, there's a 357 in my head. Alan Brown's throwing me on the floor. While we were in the middle of the second day of meetings, the Secret Service showed up right, in Auckland, grabbed Cliff and says, get the hell out of here and get out of here now. We sat down in the White House with uh, President Reagan and had the Weinberger and Schultz were there, and I said... The Australian guy was picked up by the New Zealand police. He was deported back, he was sent back to Australia. He was assassinated 48 hours later. He was shot right through the Lincoln head. Episode 1. In 1996, at a cafe in Auckland, New Zealand, I sat down with a tape recorder for a series of scoping interviews, kind of shooting the breeze of the former American spy who'd come in from the cold and made a new life for himself down under. Stephen Michael Dement was his name. Officially, he'd been a saxophone player with the US Army in Berlin, but his real job was military intelligence. Steve Dement made contact after reading my first book, The Paradise Conspiracy, which was the first bestseller to lift the lid on the top-secret UK-USA or Yakuza Treaty of 1947. That treaty set up the framework for American, British, Canadian, Australian and New Zealand intelligence agencies to monitor the world's phone calls and computer traffic. Today, thanks to Edward Snowden's revelations in 2013, we now know it as Five Eyes. I only devoted less than a page of my 1995 book to the existence of this spy network, but that was enough for New Zealand's Minister of Defence to press the red alert button and summon my bosses at TV3 to Wellington. It turns out I wasn't supposed to know about the Yakuza Treaty. Nobody was supposed to know. As I wrote in the Paradise Conspiracy, the Yakuza Treaty is classified on the if I told you I'd have to kill you level. Its existence is neither confirmed nor denied. Despite refusing to tell me, they still tried to kill me, as the brakes on my car were sabotaged when the manuscript for the Paradise Conspiracy was stolen during a break-in, and they found out what was in the book. But that's a story for another time. In fact, despite being revealed in my 1995 book, Time magazine reports that the very existence of the Yakuza Treaty was not officially confirmed until 2005. You can only imagine the fury in Washington and London when Wellington alerted them in 1995 to what was coming. One man who knew, however, was Steve Dement, my guest across the cafe table, who was about to spill the beans on a true story that rivaled a cross between a Bond movie and Rowan Atkinson's Johnny English. What follows in this and the other episodes of this podcast is a rollicking great yarn that unfolds across Europe, America and the Pacific, from wild car chases in Berlin to secret missions deep inside the Iron Curtain. From his life as a spy to life as a casino boss in a deadly business deal that claimed the life of Larry Hilblum, the H in freight company DHL. And Steve Dement was there too when the CIA tried to take over a Pacific airline. Back in 1996, however, I didn't know what Steve Dement was going to tell me. I just ordered a flat white coffee, hit record on the Sony tape deck and let the story play out. These tapes have never been released until now. I'm Ian Wishart, and this is episode one of my podcast, Great Sacks in Berlin, Confessions of an American Spy. Buckle up, it's one heck of a ride. Talking, one, two, talk, one, three, five, talk. Can you see? What do you get? You can't even see it, it's reflecting. Okay, am I all right now? 
filming in on the untold story. The story is, is that I was, how did I get to Berlin? There wasn't a, it wasn't fast. It was Vietnam. Um, Vietnam was raging. I had just failed out of university. I needed to go somewhere to I'll get called up. So I, I joined the United States Army as a saxophone player. <laughs> True story. I could play the national anthem for three years. I was like, nobody's going to kill me unless I played the saxophone really bad. <laughs> really bad. <laughs> then what happened was I went through basic training. After basic training, there was advanced. I was put into advanced infantry training, which I should have gone. I should have gone straight to a band. <laughs> and the whole time I said, "You got this wrong. I do sex. You guys do guns." <laughs> well, I, I should have known there was a problem because when I got my orders out of uh, basic training, I came out of basic training. The saxophone player was the top secret clearance. And I just couldn't think of a lot of good reasons why I needed a saxophone player as a top secret clearance. <laughs> so I thought, so after advanced infantry training, they said, right, you're gonna go to you're gonna go to uh, to Nam. You're on your way to Nam. I thought, okay, that's cool. And I was gonna and I was I was going over his infantry. So I did the normal things, you know. I went home, got laid, went to confession. <laughs> <Lord will. laughs> yeah. Um, was down getting ready to get shipped to Vietnam. They they pulled my orders. My orders were pulled. I was being sent sent to uh, Bremerhaven, northern Germany, and um, to be in an army band. So this is cool. No, I didn't make it to the NAM. Because uh, when I got to Frankfurt, I got to Frankfurt, I was supposed to fly up to Bremerhaven. They said, no, you're going to the second of the 509th Airborne, which is a Rangers crowd, Green Beret. And I said, no, you don't need a saxophone player to jump out of an airplane. <laughs> so I went through all that, that Green Beret stuff, and then, and then I got orders to go to, believe it or not, an army band in Berlin. And I was actually in a band. I thought I'd dine and go to heaven. They finally got it right. You know, these guys have got it right. I was in it for about three months, and, and then uh, it was a sedan just pulled up with these guys, and they got up and they, they said, You're, Are you Steve, you know, specialist event? And I said, Yeah. And they said, Get all of your gear, you're coming with us. And I thought, Jesus, I know I've done some bad stuff. But <laughs> so I was then taken, and I became. I got, I was, I was, I understood the, the secret clearance and all the stuff because I was then reassigned to uh, the USMLM, which is the United States Military Liaison Commission to the Soviet. Because we didn't recognize East Germany as a government, then there were military missions, okay, so that they were represented by military. So the, it was like a consulate, but it was military because yeah. it, it couldn't be diplomatic. diplomatic. And, and our job was really simple. Our job was to uh, to go out and, and uh, get all the intelligence information we could. And it was done in what we call tour 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 cars. Now we had we had these we had they're like NASCARs. The fastest damn Ford you ever saw in your entire life. They were they were specially built. <laughs> And there wasn't a piece of chrome on them. I mean, it were all fitted out, and it had all this sort of stuff, and you won't believe it was like six. It was really a James Bond thing. And, and so we had diplomatic Russian tags on it. It was our diplomatic cars that used to go like a bat out of hell. So in Potsdam, when we were going to leave, we would all be in uniforms, and we, as military, they, were, they couldn't touch us, you know, and we were in the cars, and everything was fine. And what our job was, we'd tail us, and then we'd ditch the tail, 
and then we change our clothes and grab the stick somewhere and go and do our thing. Yeah. Well, um, that was my job. That and uh, in Berlin, East Berlin, uh, all kinds of problems to go on over there. The Russians sneaking girls underneath the Berlin Wall to get laid in the Russian War Memorial. Why was that? Well, I mean, because they got horny. <laughs> 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 so they were coming over to uh, West Berlin. Well, they were coming. The Russian War Memorial before the Berlin Wall was it was actually when it was all one Berlin. There was a Russian War Memorial that was built there. Now, now, when the line got drawn, it just happened to be that the Berlin Wall was on there, and the, and the Russian monument was there on the wrong side of the wall. On the wrong side of the wall. So. They would bus over through Checkpoint Charlie, this, these groups that would go on duty and offer duty, and they, they, they were all inspected, you know, the whole thing, and the buses were inspected, and we had this big ritual. Well, the Americans, being super arrogant, we thought we were in charge of everything, everywhere, all the time, but this happened to be a British sector. So what happened was you had the Russians guarding the memorial, you had the British guarding the Russians, and we were guarding the British. <laughs> and then the French got a full report. <laughs> yep. So when there was this, there was two tunnel systems underneath Berlin. There was a private tunnel system, which went like from, oh, from Tempelhof all the way out to, uh, well, it was just all over the place. It was just a, like an underground network. It was built by Hitler. But there was also a sub... There was an underground um, tramway. You know what I mean? Underground subway. Yeah. That was not used. After the war and everything, it just got shut down. Well, these guys reopened it back up because it happened to run right underneath the war memorial. Yeah. No one thought about using it to get spies in. And nobody really wanted to. They just wanted to get the, get the women across. <laughs> <laughs> So the Ruskies and the uh, East German troops were coming across to many girls in West Berlin. Yeah, they're, they're getting laid because they got busted. Yeah. Um, when the, when the, the British called us and said, what are they doing with all those girls in there? We don't get any girls. How come they got girls in there? Who <laughs> 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 was that? But, but most of my time I was spent, uh, I spent my time out in the field looking at, oh, we do all kinds of things. Uh, like I captured once, I got captured by the, the Russians. I was at the end of a runway in Leipzig, and uh, I was in a tree. And, and I had, it was just an infrared film, because we wanted to get shots of the undercarriage of the new mix. And, and what we wanted to do was measure the cone. Because depending on the size of the cone, you could determine horsepower. Okay? So I've been doing it for about, two or three months off and on, and, and um, we couldn't figure out, we, we, we thought we actually had it wrong in our analysis because the cone showed that it had this huge horsepower, and the blink of plane should have gone like a thousand times faster, you know, it should have gone really fast, you know, <laughs> and it didn't. And we, we thought, well, God dang, we must be shooting them wrong or something, you know, we got to be doing something wrong. Well, I was up near this tree, and all of a sudden, there, I thank God there were Russians and not East Germans, because the East Germans would kill you. The Russians got me out of the tree and everything, and they said, you got to go see their car. Well, I think I was reported, you know. Somebody saw, saw me climb up the tree, so I was reported. So the guns, you know, pouring at me, and they grabbed me and stuff, and they said, you got to see the colonel now. And I was shit, here we go, I'm dead now. I'm, gonna, I'm on my way. So I go see I go see this colonel and he goes, Hi Steve, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> 
I said, do I know you? He said, no, but we know you. <laughs> now, the Russians had their mission in Frankfurt. Yeah. So it was tit for tat. There was, there, we had the equivalent thing. There, there was us in Potsdam, and here was these guys in Frankfurt, right? Here's the Russians here. So the colonel says, this really stinks. He says, what are we doing up for the tree? I said, what do you think I was doing? I was thinking, it's your stupid plane. <laughs> <laughs> He says, yeah, we got your camera equipment, very sophisticated stuff. I said, yeah, it's nice, it works good. Yeah. <laughs> he said, well, look, here's the deal. Um, uh, you, you will just sit down here, have some vodka, have something to eat, because in 24 hours, we're, the American guys will pick off one of our guys in Frankfurt, and then we'll swap you over. Yeah. So we, were having, we had a couple shots of vodka and stuff, and this guy says, he says, can you get Playboy magazines? I said, yeah, I just, not a problem. He said, can you get lots of them? I said, <laughs> I said can you get ballpoint pens? I said, oh, yeah. He says, I'll make you a deal. You get me 10 Playboys and 10 ballpoint pens, I'll give you 10 pounds of Cuban lobster. <laughs> so anyhow, that was just one of the stories. So there was a lot of that going on. I mean, there was a lot of, and we we, we discovered the first SAM site, actually. You know, the SAM sites, the surface to air missile sites, and, 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 uh, and we were really keen on watching what was going on with the rockets. What, what was interesting about what happened in that era was that we kept on sending report after report after report that the Russians could, in fact, build rockets, and the rockets were probably very lethal, but they couldn't, they couldn't transport them because they didn't have tires that would hold air. They didn't have batteries because they charged. They didn't have trucks that could run for longer than 1,000 miles without coming apart. The logistical support of it was nonsense. We later found out that the MiG the, it was so slow because it was all wired like an old car. It was wire looms. They had tonnage of wires running from one another. It didn't have closed circuit. So it had good aerodynamics, so the appearance of aerodynamics, that sort of thing, but the... The plane weighed five times more than what any an F-14 or F-15 would weigh. And we, that's why we're getting this weird reading. Given the size of the plane and the, and the engine, why is it doing it? And so we thought that the Russians weren't a threat at all. You know, we could say this is a little bit ridiculous. Okay, I mean, you know, they, they, okay, they can't be mobile. They can't keep anything running long enough. There's no logistics issue. There's no infrastructure. There's no nothing. Later on now, it's been let out that the Russians, you know, of course, that was the way it was, but it was in the CIA's best interest to see this thing escalate because of the contracts and their exactly. general. industry thrived on it. Thrived on it, yeah. So it was the politicians. Yep. Mm -hmm. So what else? I mean, uh... Well, then I got transferred out. Uh, they put you into a unit. This, the other unit I got put into was JROC. It's called the Joint Refugee Occupation Center. And what, th that was set up uh, to basically to smuggle out um, valuable assets in, in human resources and people to smuggle them out, okay, get them in, on the side. Um, and, and I used to, we used to deal with those people a lot in, in terms of talking to them, getting information and stuff, and then getting them settled into the, into the West. And then the last one is I worked in the photo lab where we processed all our film, which was subterranean. It's a whole underground thing under Berlin, too. So we saw, you know, we did all the film processing and got all this stuff. So that was, was interesting. That's where I grew up. This lady's crotch at the fourth of my six foot. It's a great place. So that was it for Berlin. Uh, we were, I reported to the CIA and to Pentagon. Uh, it was, um, it was just continuation, more of the same. We, we, uh, the Czech invasion was part of it. 
Well, what people don't realize when the Czech invasion occurred, when the Russians invaded Czechoslovakia, is that is that they only used troops that were from Mongolia. Okay. In other words, all the troops from on the other side of Russia, and they took the, the, the troops that were in that area from that area. They took them out and put them back on the other side. Because when the invasion started, the Russians actually told them that they're going into West Germany to fight the capitalists. Yeah. They even changed all the signs to look like they were going into West Germany. Yeah. And they painted white crosses on the top of their tanks yeah. and their trucks because obviously the Czech tanks and stuff were exact same models. Yeah. And the troops all looked alike, so they had special like things on their shoulders and on their helmets, white. Yeah. Well, these these Mongolian guys were going. They thought they were in for a real fight, and they got in, and they got into Prague, and it actually was pretty bloody. I mean, there was, it was a nasty fight for quite a while until the Czechs finally got the message across to these guys that they were Czechoslovakia. And then all of a sudden, there was this. They, they just said, "Hey, we're not, this isn't. This isn't." We're invading our own people. Yeah. This is one of the state. This is one of the guys in the Soviet Union. They're in the Soviet Union. What are we doing here? Then the disciplinary stuff, the discipline fell apart. The troops just said, no, this is bullshit. We're not going to do it. You know, this isn't right. Uh, and they miscalculated that, that effect. Okay. And they thought that these guys would go through there and gain control. In reality, what they did is they said, we're out, all the commanders said, we're out of here. Yeah. Did the um, Soviets have to sort of get prior one into the West that, because um, I mean, there were sort of uh, Western agents on the loose in the Soviet Union, and their word was coming back that they launched an assault on West Germany. Um, that could have been misconstrued and all sorts of dramas. Yeah, and so you would, there was the notification at a higher level. Yeah. After, you know, after, on the, on the, the, the after part. What the, what the fear was, what the. What the it's hard to explain. The, the problem was more political than it was military. You know, they, the, the Russians didn't want to show that they defeated their Czech thing. They want to show that they were muscle-bound and hard and they could do it uh, without hurting anybody at the same time and bringing the Czechoslovakian government back into line, which they didn't do. Um, it was a political thing, so I'm sure you know above us there were a lot of other stuff because the way that it was handled by the Czechoslovakians like the Hungarian Revolution, is that is that there wasn't any support from the outside. You know, there wasn't a plea from the Czechs for support or aid. Um, and, and so that's that was that part of it. So it's an, it's an interesting thing. And as it turned out, it paid to have, well, it kept it together. The Russians actually kept that for them as far as they were concerned. We had hints of the whole thing coming apart as, as, as late as the 70, 70, 71 when we, you know, we felt that they couldn't sustain it much longer. Yeah. As it turns out, they could. What was interesting about the army at that point in time was, was to enforce this, this theory that it was this massive power. Yeah. Okay? And that's what they want reinforced. And in, in our, we get deleted on our reports that say don't, don't include anything that is there. It was in, the, in their best interest to keep it going. And so that's what happened. It was it was done that way. Um, our job was actually silly. I mean, everybody knew everybody. It was totally silly. Did you have any sort of visions when you were caught up in the troops of the next Gary Powers? <laughs> yeah, I think that you get again that hype. When you, which probably one of the best things that happened was that I was in J Rock, which is the Joint Refugee Operations Center, is that we had four East German 
uh, lieutenants on the wall. Okay, these were the boat posts. These were the really bad guys. Yeah. Jump over the wall. Okay, came over on our side. Got these four guys. And they were walking around all over West Berlin with hand grenades and guns and stuff, right down the middle, dragging everything, shaking hands and talking. You know, they had a hell. They're trying to turn themselves in. They couldn't. They couldn't find anybody. People were dragging them into the bars. They come and have a drink. And these guys, they said, "Can we surrender? We gotta find somebody to. We want to surrender." <laughs> <laughs> Finally, I guess somebody figured out they had to go and get them. <laughs> but when, but what, what was funny was, is after taking him to J-Rock and talking to him, they had, one of the guys handed me this tape, and it had numbers on it, and it was a short timer's calendar. Yeah. And he said, he said, do you see this? I don't need this anymore. Huh? So I'm giving it to you, because now you've got to play the stupid game. You know? And I, that was the way that it was felt. Um, yeah, there was a real sense of camaraderie between the, the Russians and the Americans. It was all a crock. All the Russians wanted to do was get home to their wives and girlfriends. Okay, they didn't want to mess with it anymore. All the American soldiers were saying the same thing. What are we doing here? Why is this happening? And then there were absurd plans put into place. I mean, there was a G2 plan, which is U.S. intelligence, where they wanted at one point in time, they said, we they had this master plan for evacuating the, the civilian people, the wives and the, the officers. The plan was a brilliant piece of work, huh? They, you got a bus and a map where to go and pick up these women and their children and a loaded 45, and you're going to drive from Berlin to Frankfurt through East Germany. Now, I don't know if the 45 was so you blew your brains out or what you're supposed to do with it. So there was this, this sort of undercurrent from the American, from the troops that were involved, especially the guys in intelligence going, you've got to be kidding. You've got to be joking. This is just bizarre. I mean, it's crazy. So yeah, it was uh, that was there was a lot of stuff going on there in terms of products and shipping and finance and stuff out of Berlin going back into Berlin, into uh, into East Berlin and stuff. Yeah, there was a lot of that stuff going on, and that was part of it. We were we were actually delivering diplomatic bags that were more economic transactions than they were communications. Did you end up capturing any Russians? No, uh, no, I didn't catch any Russians. In fact, I probably wasn't very good as a spy either. You know, it, <laughs> you know, I was trying to be the skinniest six foot four spy. I mean, you could get. I never once tried to speak German. Um, but we, you know, we had an. Inter it was an interesting time. Uh, General McCord. We reported to General. It was General down at field grade. And McCord was a crazy bastard. And, and McCord used to had a Corvette, with, and he'd go terrorize Potsdam in his Corvette with diplomatic tags, and they'd, get, they'd hate it. And uh, one time they called and said, come and get McCord, he's on the bridge drunk. And we went back to the Potsdam Bridge, and there he was, standing drunk, sure as shit. And then his Corvette was smashed. They took a tank and ran over about 10 times. <laughs> There's his car. <laughs> Yeah. This is what, T-54 or something? Yeah, it was, yeah it, was a, it, was, uh, it was the hot one, you know, and, and, and he was, God, McCord was pissed off. <laughs> Great Sacks in Berlin, Confessions of an American Spy, continues in a moment. He's been shot at, tear gassed, mugged, arrested, electrocuted, and almost assassinated. And he still keeps coming back for more punishment. 
with more lives than a cat. You're listening to Investigate Daily's Ian Wishart on Live365.com. Talk radio for grown-ups. Coming up on the next episode. I was saying, this isn't a good idea. This really isn't a good idea. And we're going over these hills on a dirt road that's just as wide. There's trees on each side, and it's only as wide. I go over the hill, and here's this bloody tank coming out of this, of this way. And I said, son of a bitch. And he goes, I'll take care of this. And he rolled down the window, and he's screaming, I'll get you, you fucking shit. I said, son of a bitch. I'm backing up. I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to get out of there. <laughs> See that shack? I said, yeah. And he says, drive right through it. I said, there's a guy in there. He says, I know that. I said, go through it. I said, okay, you're the boss. Went through it. Wham, I'm rushing for flying. <laughs> Great Saxon Berlin, Confessions of an American Spy, is an Ian Wishart podcast. Follow Ian Wishart on Facebook or Twitter or through your podcasting service. I see you suffering in silence is Stay away.